Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. The Parting Shots Podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Downloaded today, available for iOS and Android users in your app store. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Easy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm back after taking last week off. I missed producing the podcast for you, and I hope you missed me too. We have another great show for you. I'll speak with Times Union Center General Manager Bob Belber about the demise of the Arena Football League. Union College Football Coach Jeff Behrman talks about the Dutchman in the NCAA Division III playoffs as they get set to face Salisbury University in the second round Saturday. Daily Gazette Sports Editor Mike Kelly comes on to preview UAlbany Football's FCS playoff game, a first-round matchup with Central Connecticut State on Saturday. And you'll meet the man who is the first voice you hear on this podcast, my very good friend, Scott Giese. Well, my first guest guided the Stillwater girls' soccer team to a second straight state Class C title on November 17th. Here is my conversation with Coach Christine Ainatola. Christine, uh, thank you for joining the uh, Parting Shots podcast, and and congratulations on a repeat performance. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Talk about the year. I mean, you come into the year as a defending state champion. You have that target on your back, and you successfully uh, defend the title. I mean, how how thrilling was this for, for you and for the program? You know, it was something that we had talked about in the beginning of our season, and we set team goals in the beginning of the season, and we set some short-term goals, some um, individual game goals, and then we set some long-term goals and long-season goals. And this was obviously our biggest goal that we wanted to accomplish. So working hard from the start of preseason all the way through to the end of the season, you know, we, we got the biggest reward that we could have ever had, and I couldn't be happier. Wait, was there any... You know, you know, we talk about teams that win titles, especially in the pro level, that maybe they get complacent the following year and don't uh, meet the expectations. Did you guys talk about that before the start of the year? Say, look, you know, you won a championship, state championship, great, but you need to, you know, be hungry again. Yeah, you know, in 2017, we had lost in the state finals. So we knew what it was like to lose. We knew that sense of accomplishment when we won in 2018. And we obviously, you know, wanted to feed off of that sense of accomplishment and, you know, do everything we could to get back there and feel that sense of accomplishment again. Yeah, you guys have put together since that state championship loss uh, a mark of 43-0-3 and in 46 straight games. Just To me, that's an amazing feat. And, I mean, I mean, how impressed with you are with that streak of 46 uh, unbeaten games, an unbeaten streak like that? Yeah, I know it is. You know, it's very, very impressive. And you got to give credit to these girls because, you know, something that we always talk about is just thinking game by game, playing game by game, and making sure that from the defense all the way up to the forwards, we're doing all the little things right to help achieve the success that we've had. And, They've been able to do that game in and game out, and we've had some tough games along the road. So, yeah, you know, yeah, three-two semifinal win over Marion on on Saturday. That was a tight contest. In fact, you you had some tight contests. The confidence that this team showed in those tight contests. I mean, how important was that for the team's success? Um, you know, it's not just, and we talk about this too. It's not just our skill level because we have the skills and we have the ability to you know achieve a lot of success and win a lot of games but when it comes time to having to play back-to-back and play two excellent teams there's a lot of mental toughness that goes into it and there's a lot of perseverance that goes into it um so there's so much more than the individual skill and the team talent there's a lot of other aspects that they had to put forth during that weekend and you know we stuck it through from the first minute to the last minute of each game and you know it paid off yeah of course the one nothing victory over Anantego in Sunday's championship game uh first of all let's let me talk about one individual player in Brooke Pickett the senior 
uh, 208 goals in her, her career at Stillwater. Uh, you know, she didn't, but yeah, she scored two goals in the semifinal game. Just what, what was her play like and how important was it to the team? And just talk about the fact that you know, the, the, her impressive career at Stillwater. Yeah, you know, she's she really is one of a kind. Um, we, we had our team banquet last night, and I got a little bit emotional over it because she's just such a great kid. And aside from the soccer aspect of it, you know, she's really, truly something special. Um, watching her come in as an eighth grader, very timid, very shy, but also confident that she could compete and play with at the varsity level. And then just watching her grow from year to year and improve year to year. Um, she brought out the best in her teammates, the best in our program. Um, a lot of these younger girls that are there at our games look up to her. And, I mean, obviously her talent speaks for itself, but that didn't just come naturally. It's She's worked very, very hard in the offseason through strength and conditioning. She plays with um, a premier team. She plays with CapU and their coach and, the, and their teammates have also contributed to her success as well. So um, you got to give her a lot of credit because, you know, she she did a lot of it just through her work ethic, and that's going to continue to help her compete at the next level when she plays at U Albany next year. Yeah. I mean, I'm reading the quote uh, in Jim Schultz's story in Monday's paper that, you know, even though she didn't score in Sunday's game, she ends up, you know, about three goals shy of the uh, Section 2 goal scoring record. I mean, she says, I don't even care. I am so happy right now. We won. We won. To me, it's just, that's, that's just, that's a selfless player. Yep. And that's, that's the type of player she is. I mean, she always had her individual goals and when she reached a hundred goals, I don't even think that she thought about 200. And then as she started to approach that milestone, obviously she wanted to get there, but still during that time, she always put the team first and sure she wanted to accomplish those individual goals, but to her winning was the most important. And even in that final game, she truly didn't care that she didn't score. She just wanted to win that state championship. Yeah. Paige Brinscoe got the game. They got the only goal in that Sunday game. Uh, to talk about the play. It was, I believe it was a free kick that led to the goal. Yes, it was a free kick. Uh, Keelan Peacock had got fouled and was a little beat up after it, so she deferred it to Paige, and it is something that we had talked about and we had prepared for um, during our practices, and she just, she really placed it perfectly, and that's another player that's come a long way. I've had her since eighth grade, and she had two really big goals for us during the state tournament, and I know it's something that she'll remember forever, but it's something that I think her teammates will remember forever as well. So what does the future hold now for next season? Um, three-peat? Um, if anybody knows me, they know how superstitious I am, so I can't <laughs> even talk about that. But um, we do, I mean, we have a great group of girls coming back. We have a lot of talent coming back. Um, obviously, we lose a player that scores 58 goals for us this season, but that's an opportunity for other people to step up and create scoring opportunities for themselves, for the, for their teammates. And, you know, I still think that we have a good chance as long as we continue, like I said, to stay healthy, work together and, um, you know, gain that confidence, maintain that confidence and do our best. Yeah. Well, Christine, I appreciate a few minutes and congratulations once again. I know the whole Stillwater community is proud of you guys in, you know, back-to-back -back championships and uh, it's a you know, it's a great story, and uh, uh, have a good off season, and happy, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, and uh, we'll hopefully talk again next season. Thank you so much, and thank you again for having me. Coming up, the Arena Football League is no more. I'll get the reaction of Times Union Center General Manager Bob Belber. You're listening to the Party Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hi, this is Hunter Moffat, founder and CEO of Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Our app is a community connecting like-minded athletes, families, and sports affiliates for their specific needs. Positive form of social media designed for long-term success. We have a template for users to easily curate, track, record, and grow their statistics and social multimedia content in one digital profile. Create 
connect and promote your brand. Think Instagram for athletes. Notable Trophy Case team members include Ron Jaworski, former NFL quarterback and founder of Jaws Youth Playbook, who says, Throughout my success in the sports world, I believe Trophy Case can bring value to many different levels of athletes and unrepresented sports. This platform will level the playing field for athletes at the beginning of their career with technology for generations to come. You can download the Trophy Case app and the Apple Store and Google Play. Send us your feedback. Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Get it today. Back on the Parting Shots podcast. Well, a few weeks after it was announced it was suspending operations, the Arena Football League announced Wednesday that it was filing a Chapter 7 bankruptcy and shutting down. That means the Albany Empire, along with five other franchises, are done. I spoke with Times Union Center General Manager Bob Felber about the loss of the Empire and the league. Uh, Bob, are you surprised uh, by this announcement by the Arena Football League on Wednesday? Well, I, I can't say that I'm surprised only because of hearing uh, a few weeks back about the suspension of the league. Um, that that was a surprise uh, three weeks ago. Uh, I was actually at a conference in Nashville, and uh, someone, a friend of mine, had sent me a copy of the Times Union story online. And that's how I found out that the suspension of the league was taking place. So we were very surprised at that. Um, but based on that suspension three weeks ago, I know they were trying to um, put something together to keep the league going, and uh, they weren't able to make that happen. So uh, I wasn't surprised. It was either going to be a, a Hail Mary that they were successful with, or it was going to probably discontinue. So. I'm very disappointed, I will say that. I'm sure I'm like every other fan in this market, which felt uh, we were in such a great shape with winning the Arena Bowl and hosting the Arena Bowl, over 10,000 people, and on uh, national TV, and how great it was, uh, only to find out that the league um, was not healthy enough to be able to continue. So... um, we are going to, uh, the owners of the Albany Empire asked the arena, uh, our staff here, if uh, if we could process the refunds for their season ticket holders. They have provided the funds, um, which they took in originally from the season ticket holders. Uh, they've provided those funds to us so that we can do that. That was as of this morning. So uh, we are uh, going to issue refunds to all season ticket holders Within the next week, uh, it should start on Monday, uh, but uh, everyone should feel comfortable that we do have the funds in our account and that they will have uh, a full refund of their season tickets. Um, so on the finance side, that's great. Obviously, on the uh, uh, quality of life and fun that you have going to these games, we're all going to lose that, uh, and that's, that's a big loss. I mean, is there something? Is there another league out there that could replace the Arena League? If there, if you guys interested at all, or what, what you would do how to fill those dates now? Well, uh, you know, from a finance side, uh, we'll be able to replace the uh, small amount of net funds that we made from hosting the games with just a couple of concerts. So that's not going to be that hard. But having said that, we absolutely do want to have another team in here, and there are a couple of other sports leagues that have expressed interest and uh, uh, an owner of one of those uh, franchises has reached out to me and um, I, I don't want to say what sport yet and it's definitely not a firm deal yet but uh, we are absolutely going to do everything that we can to uh, explore what options exist for other teams whether it be football or whether it be lacrosse or other sports um, we're definitely going to have another team uh, it may not be by March or April, but uh, I will assure you that we'll have another team in this building. It's just a matter of making sure that we find the right one and that we have the right financial stability from ownership and uh, that, uh, you know, it's something that the fans will want to go and uh, and support. So, um, you know, again, we're disappointed that um, the AFL is not going to continue, uh, but, you uh, you know, this facility is a, a, a great venue that uh, has had pride in having a lot of teams here uh, and having great fans. You know, the best fans in the AFL were right here in Albany. We had the highest 
attendance and uh, the most loyal fans. And so I feel really bad about it for them. Uh, obviously, not anything that we or they did wrong, uh, not anything that the local ownership did. Uh, it was really a burden that, that was on the league from legacy expenses and liabilities, from what I understand, what I've been told. Uh, and even, you know, as it relates to the workman's comp insurance uh, rates, uh, you know, I think their premium for uh, one season was up around a million five for uh, workers' comp insurance, which just seems to me like it's absolutely ridiculous uh, when they're only bringing in, you know, a little bit more than that in gross revenues. So uh, why why is New York State workman's comp insurance so much higher than, you know, Baltimore, which I think was less than 300 grand a year? So, you know, those issues are what are, are not only one issue, but those are all issues that caused the league to really have to look at, you know, how much more can they lose the, the multiple owners that own the, own the league itself. You mentioned football and lacrosse. Is hockey a chance of coming back at all, or that not, not in the realm of possibility? I, I wouldn't say that it's uh, absolutely out. You know, if we had if we had a call from the Rangers saying that they wanted to bring the AHL Rangers team to Albany, we'd be listening with uh, all ears. Uh, but right now they're happy in Hartford. Uh, the Islanders are happy in Bridgeport. And the Devils are happy in Binghamton. Uh, Sabres are happy in Rochester. So at some point, will one of those teams not be happy and consider moving? And would they consider moving to Albany? Um we certainly would listen, and we certainly would want to have that discussion. Um, but at this point, that, that opportunity doesn't exist. Uh, and, uh, you know, the ECHL uh, is a good league, and, and they're in a number of different markets, including Glens Falls. Um, and we're looking at that, but I don't, I don't want to sit here now and say that we're trying hard to get an ECHL team because I'm concerned about what the attendance would be and, and with that attendance – be respectable enough uh, to be able to um, continue on and, and have the team be long-term. You know, we don't want to have a mistake of putting a team in that's going to be here for a year or two and then gone. Um, it's got to be something that has legs. And so an AHL team, I think, with the right deal structure could definitely uh, work, especially if it was the Rangers. But um, I think we've got to uh, really look at all of the options that exist. Uh, National Lacrosse League uh, is expanding into certain markets. Um, you know, when we had a team here back in 2000, we were averaging about 5,500 per game. And um, I think lacrosse has gotten only more popular. So that would be something that's high up on my priority list as far as possibility of bringing a team in. But it's too soon at this point to say that that's a definite uh, you know, scenario for them coming in, but we're exploring it, and we'll continue to look at every single sports team option uh, to make sure that we get the right one. I appreciate you coming on and talking about this. It's you know, unfortunately, you know, we you know, it's the way this all broke down. Albany Empire, at least you know, it's a good thing that they were the last champions of the Arena Football League. Well, they went out on top, that's for sure. And uh, I have to give credit to the coaches and the players that, that work so hard to make that team successful. And, um, you know, I give a lot of credit to the local ownership, too, because, you know, they, they got involved in, in uh, co-owning a team here in Albany, and, um, you know, they did this to try to make sure that there was a team uh, that we could all support and, and really enjoy. And, you know, I, I think that um, uh, some of those legacy issues that I mentioned uh, are things that, um, uh, you know, kind of multiplied and uh, got to the point where they just couldn't, couldn't continue. That's Bob Belber. Up next, I spoke with Union College football coach Jeff Behrman on Tuesday. You'll hear that interview next on the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hey, pro football fans. It's time again to match which with other pro football fans and win a prize by playing the Daily Gazette's You Pick 'em football game, sponsored by River Sportsbook. To play, go to dailygazette.com slash football and make your picks before the first game kicks off each week. If you have the most weekly points, you earn a $100 gift card to ShopRite. Play every week and you can win the grand prize of $1,000. 
Play the Daily Gazette's You Pick em Football game, sponsored by River Sportsbook at dailygazette.com slash football. Back on the Party Shots podcast and uh, Union College football team getting ready for the second round of the NCAA Division Three tournament. Uh, they take on Salisbury University down in Maryland on Saturday. Uh, they beat Case Western Reserve uh, 24-21 here last Saturday at Frank Bailey Field. And Coach Jeff Berman joins me now. And Coach, uh, welcome back to the podcast. And uh, how much are you looking forward to the game on Saturday? Looking forward to it a lot. Uh, you know, obviously we're in a great spot right now. Um, Finals just ended today, so that was good for, for those guys. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, just letting them focus now on getting some rest and uh, preparing for this game. Now we should tell people we are taping this on Tuesday, uh, well in advance for the game on uh, Saturday. Uh, was that a, the exams, uh, was that a bit of uh, maybe a distraction last week in last week's game because you fell behind 21-3 in the first half? Well, I, I think uh, I, I'll say this. I, I give uh, Case Western a lot of credit. I thought they played a great first half and, uh, and really, uh, really came out and executed their plan very well. Um, you know, that's the second time that I've uh, that I've had a postseason game here at Union, and uh, we've come out the exact same way both uh, both first halves. Uh, what was said at halftime of that uh, game that uh, maybe turned things around? Uh, just relax, calm down a little bit, and uh, let's just regroup here and figure out what we need to do to uh, to win this game and uh, stick together, stay positive, and. Uh, Relax and have fun. What, what was the key to the comeback? Uh, you know, I think I think we just uh, we were able to execute a little bit better. Uh, I know defensively, I thought they put a lot more pressure on the quarterback um, and just got him off his mark a little bit. And uh, I thought we we just defended the pass better. Uh, we had turnovers, which was good. You know, we had the uh, we had the uh, the fumble and then and then the uh, two interceptions, so that helped out quite a bit there. And then offensively, we just started executing a little bit better, and uh, especially in the passing game. Yeah. Now you're taking on a Salisbury team that uh, manhandled SUNY uh, Maritime 83-0. They were up 42 nothing after the first quarter. You're going down there. Uh, what's What have you seen at Salisbury? What, what do you think of them? Uh, I, I see a really good team. You know, uh, uh, strong players, athletic players, uh, dynamic, very, very athletic, uh, fast. So, uh, you know, it, it's uh, offensively, they obviously they're, a, they're the option team that, that can throw the ball. You know they're uh, they're pretty. Uh, you know they obviously run the ball a lot more, but but they are equally as effective uh, throughout the air as well. And defensively, they're strong, physical, and uh, and running the ball very well. How do you stop the option if they, if they can pass that well? I mean, uh, option teams you know, dominate with the run, but. If they're the passing team, that makes it a little more complicated for the defense. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's going to come down to uh, assignment football, you know, like every other week, but uh, even more so when you're playing an option team. We just got to have uh, just have our assignments and uh, put our eyes where they need to be and, and read our keys. Obviously, you're going on the road for this game. What's going to be the key to you know to taking their fans out of the game and trying to you know control the tempo of the game down there? Well, I think offensively we got to we got to we got to possess the ball. You know, certainly anytime you play a. Uh, a, a team like this, you, you, you want to possess the ball, keep the ball out of their hands as much as possible. And we're gonna have to score points. You know, they uh, they uh, they average 50 points a game right now, so uh, we're gonna have to score some points. Um, obviously, you want to score points in the first half. You don't want to be trailing 21-3 like you did Saturday, because that means it's a little tougher to come back down there. Yeah, you know, certainly we don't want to start the way we started uh, this past uh, this past weekend for sure. Yeah. As I said, the exam break it's it's a tough time. These guys you know, focusing and trying to get their exams done. Now that their minds are clear of that, uh, do you, you know, we're out here Tuesday night on this practice. Did you see a, a, a good practice uh, out here? I think it was okay. You know, I, I think uh, they, they, they still uh, they still weren't completely out of the, the exam mode a little bit. So, uh, you know, um, I, I think uh, tomorrow will be a much better day. They'll get a, quite a bit more rest uh, today here or tonight uh, into tomorrow. So I'm expecting a better practice tomorrow. So, uh, Jeff, good luck on uh, uh, Saturday, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, too. Thanks for having me on. That's uh, Union College football coach Jeff Berman coming up. Union College not the only local football team in uh, playoff action. University of Albany playing in the FCS playoffs. We'll talk to Gazette Sports Editor Mike Kelly about that coming up here on the Twarting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Twarting Shots podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case. The app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android in your app store.
Back on the Parting Shots podcast, and as I mentioned, uh, Union football is not the only uh, team playing in the postseason here in the Capital Region. The Albany Great Danes are in the FCS playoffs. They'll be hosting Central Connecticut State on Saturday at Tom and Mary Casey Stadium. And the man who's going to be covering that game for us is Mike Kelly, a sports editor of the Daily Gazette. Mike, uh, welcome and happy Thanksgiving. Ken, thanks for having me. And I want to point out I am calling in uh, from Albany, so on the scene. <laughs> Very good. We like those, that, that kind of stuff. So um, Right, all the way from Albany to Schenectady. Let's do this. <laughs> Too lazy to come in, right? <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, obviously, the uh, Thanksgiving Eve traffic is kind of messy, so I can understand that. Anyway, uh, let's talk about the Great Danes. I mean, this is a team last year, 3-8, and eight, really team that really looked bad last year. And then are you surprised that, that there'd be a turnaround and they made the playoffs? Sure, of course. <laughs> you know, I think anybody who, who who says that they're not surprised by this is, is probably, uh, you know, if, if you're not a member of that team and you say that you're not surprised by this, you're, you're probably lying. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, they went 3-8 and eight last year. You know, they didn't have a particularly great talent pool, it seemed, that they were working from last year. Um, you know, picked to finish last this year in the CAA. Um you know, and those preseason polls maybe don't mean a ton, but we also don't see a lot of people pick last to then, you know, end up in the, you know, the, the top third of the league, finishing in second and making the playoffs. Um, so, no, this is a huge surprise, and, uh, you know, it's a really welcome development for, for the program. Yeah, I was just mentioned they host Central Connecticut State, a team that went 11-1 and uh, this season. And Union, uh, Albany's 8-4. and four. I mean, are you kind of surprised they're hosting, considering the, the records? Sure. So, I mean, so the FCS playoffs isn't, um, you know, it's not necessarily, uh, there's only, I think, the top eight teams that get seeded, and then the the, the, the second 16, it's a 24-team field. Um, there aren't seeds, so so the it's not necessarily that the better team is hosting. Um, there's a bidding process that you have to go through to be able to get a home game. Um you know, I think, though, in general, um, you know, if you look at Central Connecticut, they're 11-1. and one. They're coming out of the NEC. UAlbany is 8-4 and four coming out of the CAA. That's probably, you know, pretty comparable um, that, you know, if this game was in Albany or if it was out, you know, at Central Connecticut, um, you know, I don't think there'd be anybody who'd be, you know, too thrown by that. Um, these are probably two, you know, as, even as you can get pretty much here uh, in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, you were at the uh, viewing party on Sunday. What was the mood like after the announcement? Sure, you know it was a, it was uh, it was fairly low key. It was excited. They got uh, just the way that it worked out. They got announced pretty early in the show. Um, so you know, maybe if it went a little bit longer, there would have been a little bit more suspense and then a little bit more excitement when they got selected. Um, but I mean, they went into it, you know, thinking they were going to get picked. Um, I think they were happy to get the home game because I don't. I mean, that was definitely not a given. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think the way that the show unfolded took away a little bit of the uh, excitement and suspense of the day. Yeah, um, Greg Catuso named Coach of the Year earlier this week. Uh, well deserved, I believe. Yeah. Hey, look. You know, every the, the coaches in his league said that his team was going to finish in last place. And his team finished in second place. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily even know, you know, I, you know, really how much of an argument you could have for somebody else in that league. Um, you know, I, I think besides that, though, um, you know, I think, you know, he has said this week, you know, that he pretty much stayed the course, you know, and, you know, with what he was doing from, you know, last year to this year. Um, I, I think he actually did make, a, you know, several significant changes. Um, you know, one, we've, We've written about it in the, in the Daily Gazette. He had a knee procedure um, so that he could be more active at practices. He made some pretty significant changes to the team's defense and just kind of their structure and you know uh, and how they wanted to play. Um, so this is a team that he kind of remade, um, you know, this year from last. And uh, you know the the benefits from that were you know really obvious, especially as the season uh, went on further and further. And uh, Jeff Undercuffler, the redshirt the freshman quarterback, named the top rookie in the CAA. I mean, just his impact on the I mean, being a, the number one quarterback, you know, taking it from the get-go at the start of uh, the season. I mean, how much uh, of his uh, play has really helped uh, in the development of this team? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a program that since Will Fiaki was the quarterback, you know, five, six, you know, years ago, whatever that is, he's a coach now on the staff, um, that they've just really struggled at that spot. And, you know, I think even, um, you know, Undercuffler's been very good this year. They would have been thrilled if he was, you know, very average because um, that would be an improvement from what they've had. Um, you know, he gives them a real, you know, weapon in the passing game, that that's something that they haven't had, you know, in a half decade, um, and it completely changes the offense for them. Interesting storyline for this game Saturday. Uh, the Central Connecticut is coached by Ryan McCarthy, who spent 13 years on the UAlbany coaching staff. I mean, how much fun is this going to be having him come back home? Yeah, and I, I think actually, from, from what I've been able to understand, I, I think several coaches from UAlbany, uh, from the Bob Ford staff, had kind of splintered off to Central Connecticut. I think Ryan McCarthy is actually like the last one who's there, <laughs> and now he's the head coach. So I think, I mean, I think he'll have you know, a great time coming back to Albany and, you know, he can use that to motivate his team that, you know, he knows that program and, you know, they're coming in here as, you know, kind of the road underdog to some degree. Um, you know, he was on Greg Gattuso's staff for a year, um, so they know each other well. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, they've been apart for long enough that I don't know to what degree it, it, it impacts the game. Um, but it's, you know, for us at least, it's fun to talk about, right? Yeah, exactly. So what do you think the key is going to be for the Great Danes to win this game and advance to face Montana State next week? Sure. So um, uh, Central Connecticut's run defense is fantastic. Um, UAlbany has the leading rusher in the CAA, Carl Mulfar. Um, you know, I think that's I think that's the matchup um, that this game comes down to is, you Albany rushing attack versus the Central Connecticut rushing defense. Um, you know, I think whoever you know whoever wins that aspect of the game, um, I, I would imagine they'll be able to use that to kind of swing the other things in their way. Um, so I, I think that's I think that's the number one thing. Well, it should be a lot of fun Saturday. The game will be televised on ESPN three. In fact, the general Robert Lee is going to call the game. In general, okay, good. <laughs> so we'll see him there, and uh, you'll have fun. It's a, it should be an exciting uh, Saturday at that uh, stadium. Hopefully, the fans will come out. I know it's uh, schools on a little bit of a Thanksgiving break, but if the students are sticking around, uh, come on out and uh, see the see your great days and support them. Sure, we got we got uh, the college basketball game there in the morning too. That got moved to, to ten a.m. You uh, Albany versus American the men's game. So. Uh, yeah, there's a, it's a full day of sports over at UAlbany. Well, well, get some sleep then uh, on Friday night. Get an early bed <laughs> so you'll be busy. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Mike, happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll talk uh, soon. Ken, happy Thanksgiving to you too. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. That's Gazette Sports Editor Mike Kelly. Coming up, I'll speak with the man whose voice you hear at the beginning of the podcast, Scott Geezy, my good friend from the York College of Pennsylvania days. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hi, this is Harborside Hal Wafer. I'm the manager of the River Sportsbook at Rivers Casino and Resort. Now, it's always a winning bet to listen to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back on the Parting Shots podcast, and you hear his voice at the start of the podcast, but many of you must be wondering, who is this Scott Geezy that I introduce, uh, or I thank for introducing me? Well, here to answer all your questions is the man, the myth, the legend, Scott Geezy. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Yes, I am a legend in my own mind. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> well, how are you doing, old friend? I'm doing fine, my old friend. Let's... Uh, Let's talk, tell the people how we know each other. We, we go back to the fall of 1981 at York College of Pennsylvania and WVYC. Well, let's see. When I got married, we went to that strip joint. Oh, no, we're not supposed to tell that story, are we? No, 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 no. Our wives won't like that. No, no, no. We're going to leave that one out? <laughs> yes, we have to. Although, yeah. although, friends, there's actually a kernel of truth to that, but we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> um, yeah, somehow Ken and I ended up at the same terrific small college in southern Pennsylvania, uh, although for Ken it was about a two-hour drive. For me, it was about a 20-minute drive. Yes, Spring Grove, and, Pennsylvania. Uh, Sp- 
home of Gladfelder Pulpwood Company. You smelled it yes. every morning. <laughs> I was waiting for you to bring that up. That's, that's terrible. That's just horrible. Yeah, well, that was, that was an, uh, there was a paper factory there, and it's every morning you wake up, you walk to, to uh, the class, and it would, it would greet you. It would, it, you couldn't help it. Only on really cloudy days. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> on nice, beautiful, clear, sunny days, never. Okay. okay. You have to be accurate. Okay. But anyway. <laughs> and somehow we survived four years of college together, uh, studying, uh, you know, media, radio, television, speech com, all that funky stuff. And then we went in different directions. I went more into broadcasting and you went more into print. But for some godforsaken reason, we've stayed in touch with each other, and here we are. Yes. Yeah, when you first met me at the, at the radio station, what did you think? I mean, I, I'm, uh, I see this tall, lanky guy with uh, a great voice, and then you're, I'm some geek with uh, permed hair. And what did you think? I'm not sure about the lanky part. <laughs> um, I guess I was a bit lanky. Um, well, keep in mind that. I guess I could claim that I've lived, lived a sheltered life. You know, we use that term sometimes and didn't get out much. And so, you know, going off to college is certainly for anybody who's ever done it, which is a lot of people. Uh, it's an experience because, among other things, you meet people from other places, uh, very different places. You're, you were from the city. I'm, I was primarily from the country. And to, you know, meet a city person and, you know, how do city people think and, you know, how do they react and who do they root for? And, of course, you're Mr. Philadelphia and I'm not. You're Mr. Baltimore. Uh, uh, well, for the Orioles and the former Colts, now, of course, now we're now we're going back in time. Yeah. Um, sorry, I don't root for the Ravens. I, I'm a Steelers fan. I will not root for the Ravens. All right. Sorry. That, that's not happening. Um, but, you know, just... Uh, getting to, to know people from different places and what do you do in Philadelphia? What's it like? I came to visit you, you know, a couple of times when we were in school and that was an experience. The time we were supposed to go to a Sixers game and somehow we didn't go to the game. Yeah. Uh, we hung out at your place or something like that. Um, but, you know, just driving in the city and, oh my gosh, look at this. You know, the, the changeover, it's kind of interesting. Just last week, I was down in Washington, D.C. for a convention. And in my case, uh, I stayed with a relative outside of the city and took the metro line into the city every day for three days. And that was a real experience for me because I still live in the country. And, you know, getting on the metro train in D.C. there, and going into the city with a whole lot of other people of all types, all skin colors, all sizes, all languages, was a real eye-opener for me. Um, something I haven't done in a while. And so when we were back in college, that was a very eye-opening experience for me because the city and I, I, I was not a city person. And so I got to know you and some other folks and find out about Philadelphia and New York and Baltimore and other cities. I mean, that was, you know, when you go to college, folks, for any young people who might be listening here, when you go to college, don't just go to class, obviously. You know, experience what other people experience. That That's hopefully part of the college experience. And uh, it, it was a real eye-opener for me. You know, back in those days, it really was. Yeah, I mean, I mean as you mentioned, me being from Philadelphia and coming to a small town like York, it, it was an adjustment because, I mean, that's a conservative area and it's a small area. And don't get me started about how they divide York up into certain districts where you have a York, but it's not the city of York. And it's just, that's a strange talk for another time. But it, it took a little bit of adjustment period for me because it was – I was, you know, I, I was used to a small class size. I went to a small prep school in suburban Philadelphia, but you know, being a small class, but being around a lot of people, that was, you know, and being in that small community, that took a little bit of an adjustment. And for folks who aren't familiar, which would be probably almost everybody, York College is sort of on the outskirts of York. It's not like it's in the city. It's not the same. I mean, York is a city, and you know, with with what I would call city problems of various kinds. But your college is kind of out of the edge, and so it's almost in the country. 
not really in the city. And even though the college has really grown, Ken, since you and I went there, you know, 20 or 30, whatever years ago, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, really grown. But still, it's out on the edge. So if you will, it kind of has a little city feel, has a little country feel. But yeah, a city boy like you coming out to, you know, out to the hinterlands, you want to come to the hinterlands, you come to where I live now, okay? (laughs) That's in the middle of Pennsylvania. That's the hinterlands, all right? Yeah. Uh, but it was it was uh, it was a, an experience that I wouldn't have traded for anything. It really learned a lot, and then God forbid I got to know you. Yeah. Well, the best thing that ever happened to me because I, I applied to four colleges. I applied to York. I applied to Temple. I applied to Marquette. I applied to Allentown, which is some different name now. The only place I was rejected was my hometown by Temple. And and the funny thing is, even if I went to Temple back then, if you wanted to work at the radio station, you had to wait a couple of years. So the best thing that ever happened to me was getting rejected by Temple and going to York and being able to get involved with the, the radio station and you know meeting you and meeting uh, Mike Ondeka, who made, has made his way in Baltimore and radio over the years, and uh, uh, Todd Ballantyne, who's become an Emmy Award winner, and just you know some of the people that went through that station there, just what they're doing now. It's, 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 it was an amazing experience and I'm, I would not trade it for anything in the world. And as you said, the best thing about college is, you know, just don't go to the cl- go to classes, obviously, but experience life. I mean, I hung out at the radio station, you know, most of my free time and you know, I got involved with doing music. I uh, became program director of the AM station, the FM station, later became general manager. I mean, you and I did a lot together with music and we did a lot with uh, news and uh, sports broadcasting. We did games together, uh, your college basketball games on WVYC. But you created a great co- co- uh, comedy series, uh, a spoof of James Bond. And back when Star Trek was, uh, the movies were the height of their power, you know, we did we did a comedy series called Double or Nothing, James Bo- uh, Fred Bunk and the Wrath of the Trekkies. <laughs> Fred Bunk. You would bring him up, would you? Oh, my God. I played the role of Mr. Splot. <laughs> And I was Captain Jerk, yeah. or I was Fred Funk, but anyway. Uh, oh, the, the innocence of college, you know, holy smokes. But, I mean, if this, this is an opinion show, right? You have an opinion show here? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I mean, one thing that drives me a little nuts. Now, where I live right now, I'm a half an hour from Penn State University, the big one, University Park. Mm-hmm. You know, Beaver Stadium, all, all that stuff. Um, I came up here right after we graduated from college and worked sports primarily and did some other things. Uh, got to know Joe Paterno. Uh, Joe and I were on a first-name basis. Uh, covered the team for 13 years, uh, including some of their best years. Uh, the national championship in 86. The national championship that should have been in 94 if they hadn't been cheated by a bunch of stupid poll voters. Uh, sorry, that slipped out. Um, one thing that bothers me right now, though, is, and, and we've seen these stories in the media too often, and too many of these colleges, and, and not just the big ones, I think smaller ones, all kinds of ones, we seem to have a growing number of students, and, and I keep seeing the term safe spaces. Right? Students need to be safe when they're in college. And part of being safe, apparently, is just, I don't want to hear things I don't want to hear. I, you know, somebody who, who disagrees with me ideologically or politically or something like that, I shouldn't have to hear them. We, we should shut them down so that I feel safe. That's nuts. Yeah. Folks, that's crazy. All right? When we, when Ken and I were in college in the 80s, periodically, there would be some controversial speaker that would come on campus about anything, not necessarily political stuff, but a number of different things. And the idea that, well, I don't agree with that person, we should shut them down, is just insane. All right, let the person speak. I don't have to agree with them. They're not going to force me to agree with them. I might go to see the speaker and think, buddy, you're full of it. I don't agree with you at all. But let them speak. And too often, it's these days, it's usually somebody who's a so-called conservative or a Republican or something like that. Um, you know, let's just shut that person down. We, we shouldn't even let them talk. That bothers me a little bit, Ken. I mean, when I, when I see college kids today that apparently are so thin-skinned that they can't handle opinions and so on that go against what they think right now, I, I, I wonder about the future. I mean, they're... 
some of these students, I think, that are getting cheated right now because they don't have the opportunity to hear other viewpoints or experience life in other ways because we have to be safe. Uh, that's that's insane. And well, we're taking some steps in the wrong direction. Thankfully, when we were in college, you and I, back in the early to mid-80s, I don't remember any of this safe space stuff. If somebody came on campus that I disagreed with, okay, I could go hear them and I could maybe even do a protest if I want. But not just shut them down. Like, you're not allowed to talk here. That's crazy. College is supposed to be wide open. So let it wide open. Now, there I'm up on my soapbox there, but I appreciated your college not having that attitude back then. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know if they have that attitude now. Maybe you would know that better than I would. I hope not. And I know pay- periodically at Penn State, here on my doorstep, it happens. Oh, we can't allow that person to speak. Well, why not? I don't care if the person's a Nazi. All right? I'm, g- I'm not going to agree with that. I hate Nazis. But if the guy's a Nazi, he wants to come on the campus and, and, and talk, I might come up and challenge him. Like, I think you're full of it, buddy, and here's why. But just to automatically shut them off, I, uh, I have a real problem with that. Well, I'll, I'll take it off the political spectrum. And I remember, you know, back in the 80s when music was changing, MTV's coming out. Uh, I, I come from a background where it was top 40 and uh, classic rock and roll, which they call now, like Sticks Journey. Uh, the, you know, the Beatles, obviously, all that stuff. And it was a time when New Wave and all this new music was coming out, like Duran Duran, R.E.M. Uh, uh, I mean, FM, the F- our FM station was going toward the, you know, the, the away from the, you know, the the album cuts, album things that were going towards that uh, yeah, new wave stuff. It was like, it was a little tension there, but I think everybody respected that fact that, yeah, okay, you like that music, but you know, maybe I don't like it, but maybe I'll give it a listen and some of the groups I ended up, you know, liking over the years. I mean, I I opened my mind to, you know, I, I I'm a big REM. I really grew to love U2, uh, Duran Duran. It was just a weird. It was a great time to be in college. <laughs> Why do I just keep remembering the butthole surface? <laughs> <laughs> the the, 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 shot, most- the, the song was "The Shaw Sleeps in Lee Harvey's Grave." You remember that? Oh my, the dead Kennedys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, now, you know, folks, uh, we're, we're not making comments about parts of the body, all right? That's no. a band. It was called the Butthole Surfers. There were the Dead Kennedys and some other groups like that. That's I it. mean, that was that was alternative cutting-edge rock back then. Yeah. And I haven't thought, to be honest, I haven't thought about that in a very long time. But now that we're talking here today, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I remember those those bands. Like, Really? If I shared that with my daughters, who are now full-grown women, uh, one with her own family started now, uh, they would probably look at me like, Dad, seriously, you listen to what? I'm like, sorry, <laughs> Dead Kennedys. <laughs> like, God, really? Yes. So those were quite the days. Yeah. Those were quite the days. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, I wish I could go back for one more year doing it all over again. It'd be a lot of fun. But you worked in radio for a long time, too. Do you miss it? Yes. But the problem was this, all right? Now, you and I grew up and trained in the 80s. And then we crossed the, the line into the 90s. And what happened big back then was deregulation. Now, we're talking government action here, okay? And when deregulation moved through, the idea in the old days was that a company could only own a certain number of stations, there were some strict rules on that sort of stuff, okay? And with dereg- when deregulation came in, it meant all of that started to go out the window. And, of course, now today we have these conglomerates, these giant companies that own hundreds of stations across the country. And that may not sound necessarily like a bad thing, but the problem is for those of us that worked in the business, what we started finding is, is that our station or stations started getting sold like every two years. You know, it was like uh, the little fish being gobbled up by the medium-sized fish and then the medium-sized fish being gobbled up by the large fish and then the large fish being gobbled up by the shark and then the shark being gobbled up by the killer whale. Mm. You know, it just, it just kept happening. 
And for those of us in that industry, especially if you were at a medium or small market station, whenever there's a sale, and this is probably still true today, whenever there's a sale, everything stops. Nobody gets a raise. No money is spent on new equipment. Everything just stops. And in the 90s, what I noticed is my station kept getting gobbled up, gobbled up, gobbled up. My favorite example is that my paycheck used to be signed by a guy down the hall of the building. Then my paycheck was signed by a guy over in the next town. Then my paycheck was signed by a guy in Arizona. And when that started happening, I realized, okay, unless I move to the big city, a major market, and really try to do something big, this is not going to work out well. And I just gradually got disillusioned with broadcasting, radio especially, because I, it, it became more of a dead-end job. That and the fact that a lot of, especially AM radio, but FM too, started to become more and more automated. In other words, uh, a lot of satellite shows, if it was a talk station, um, you know, the Rush Limbaugh or or those type shows yeah. that came in from God knows where, yeah. New York, Florida, wherever they were, you know, and they started taking up more and more of the time of the, of the day and less and less was devoted to local programming. At one point in the mid nineties, the station that I was working at had about, um, let me guess here, six, eight, maybe 10 hours of local programming a day. And that's morning and afternoon drive and evening. News talk, sports talk, morning show, uh, news block, all that sort of stuff. It was about six hours in the morning and maybe three to four hours in the afternoon evening. That same station that I used to work at right now only has three hours of local programming a day. That's it, three. The other 21 hours are all canned shows. And they may be popular, whatever, doesn't matter. From a local broadcaster's perspective, I don't want to work at that station if there's only three hours of local programming a day. And so unfortunately, by the late 90s, I could see the handwriting on the wall and I just said, I, I got to do something different. This isn't working out for me anymore. And unfortunately, I think there are a lot of broadcasters that feel the same way that, you know, deregulation might sound good in some respects, but in some other respects, in, in many ways, it killed the industry. Unless, of course, you were Rush Limbaugh or one of these big national hosts. I mean, they're doing great. But for we local folks, you know, down on the ground at the local, it, it was awful. Yeah. And so I did it in the 80s and 90s, and I just decided I, I can't do this anymore. Sorry. So I moved on. So what are you doing now? Well, for the last 20 plus years, I have still been involved with journalism because I've been doing that since I was in high school and all through our college and then afterward. Uh, so for the last 20 plus years, I've been a representative of uh, the Jostens Yearbook Company, which is the number one company in that business. And uh, what I've been able to do is take my former journalism and broadcasting skills and essentially switch them over to a new role. Uh, I was in Washington last week for a student journalism convention, which is held nationally twice a year, and I had a lot of fun, uh, made some new friends. But journalism hasn't died. Journalism is just as important as it's always been. It's just changed. You know, here we're doing a podcast. Well, for goodness sakes, there were no podcasts, uh, what, 15 years ago or no, thereabouts. No. There were no such things, Even maybe even 10 years ago. Uh, it was radio. If you wanted to do audio broadcasting, you did radio. Uh, now you can still do radio, but it's more apt to now to do podcasting. So, Ken, you have yours. I have one that I do monthly for my particular job. Um, you know, I, you and I did some television training, and I did some television work you know, right after college and later on and so on, and that was great. Now television, well, it's still there. But, of course, we have things now like YouTube, yeah. which, I mean, we didn't have anything like that, you know, 10, 15, whatever years ago. Uh, and I have my own YouTube channel that I do for my job every month, which is a lot of fun. 
So we're able to reach back on our old skills, our old traditional training, and use them in new ways. And when I get a chance to work with students, I, I try to share with them, guys, you have no idea how lucky you've got it right now. You have so many different outlets, many, many more opportunities than I ever had. But I'm not that old, so I still find ways to utilize some of this new stuff. And uh, it's actually rather invigorating. It's kind of fun yeah. to do a podcast and a video. I like to do some blog writing. You know, what was a blog 15, 20 years ago? There were no such thing. No. So the world has changed, but in some ways it stayed the same. And the folks who are successful are the ones that are able to pivot and kind of change. Like, okay, I can't do this anymore, but I can go over here and do this. And that's, uh, that's what I've been doing for the last uh, two decades. So where can people find your YouTube? Where can people find you on Twitter? Well, again, my, my day job is with the yearbook industry, which is, you know, even though we have technology and gadgets and gizmos and all that sort of stuff, yearbooks are still extremely valuable items. They are not going anywhere. So my feature is called the yearbooking report. Yearbooking is the term I like to use because, again, in this day and age, yes, you're making a cool book. But we could have a Facebook page, we could have a Twitter feed, we could have an Instagram feed, we could have a Snapchat feed, we can have a blog, we can do some video on YouTube. There's so many different ways to, to tell stories, and that's what your books are all about, telling stories, remembering stories, remembering people. And so I call it yearbooking because that's kind of a verb, like, yeah, I'm yearbooking. What? What does that mean? That means I'm telling stories. And so on YouTube, if you just go to YouTube and do a search for yearbooking, only one thing comes up. That'd be me. All right. Uh, and then for the podcast, I use the Podbean service uh, for my podcast. But for Apple users, again, if you just sort of do a search for yearbooking, if I'm correct, only one thing comes up, and that's me. I usually do an update about the middle of every month during the school year, which would be August to May. And uh, I'm having a lot of fun, a lot of fun doing it. No. Well, Scott, this has been a blast. Uh, running out of time, unfortunately. I wish I could go on an hour, two hours with you. But we'll, you know, we'll do this again uh, sometime down the road. And I appreciate you doing what you did for me for the opening. And uh, let's you know, have some fun down the road. And uh, good luck and have a happy Thanksgiving. Please tell Jill, like I said, we also wish you guys happy Thanksgiving. Well, the same to your family. Uh, my family's growing. I have a grandson now. My God, I am old. Uh, holy smokes. But he's, his name is Colton, and he is an absolute delight. Life changes, but keep having fun, folks. Keep yeah. having fun. Ken, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Scott. That's Scott Geezy. Back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. Hi, this is Daily Gazette News columnist Sarah Foss. Once again, I'll be going head-to-head -head with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott with my weekly NFL picks and defending my championship. Go to dailygazette.com slash blogs and look for my picks on my Thinking It Through blog. You can find Ken's picks at dailygazette.com slash sports. Back to wrap up the podcast, and as Sarah said... Look for her NFL picks along with mine at DailyGazette.com. Sarah took a one-game lead over me after she went 10-4 in Week 12. I was 9-5. Sarah is 114-61-1. I am 113-62-1. Also, look for my blogs on NFL and college football TV coverage this week. You can find it at DailyGazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. If you're a college hockey fan... Look for my weekly ECAC Hockey Faceoff selections at dailygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. You can participate in the faceoff selections by emailing your picks to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Union Hockey beat writer Mike McGavin and I will be back with our College Hockey-centric podcast December 6th. We will discuss the departures of forward Sam Morton and Lucas Brio from the Dutchman. If you have questions about Union Hockey, Mike and I will answer them. Send your questions a shot at dailygazette.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Stillwater Girls soccer coach Christine Ianola, 
Times Union Center General Manager Bob Belber, Union College Football Coach Jeff Behrman, Gazette Sports Editor Mike Kelly, and my very good friend Scott Giese. The Parting Shots Podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android users in your app store. The Parting Shots Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot at gellygazette.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots Podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette Newspapers. The Party Shots Podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Party Shots Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>